Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Amen. Come on. Yes. I'll tell you what, this is, it, 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 it. again, when, when God sees that our hearts are engaged and he knows that he can trust us with his people and with those in this world that are lost, then he's going to do it. He's going to bring people into our paths. He's going to create the opportunities for you and I to reap and bring in the harvest. Amen. And so you get to see it firsthand. I wanted you to hear from some people besides me this morning that are doing what I'm talking to you about. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Let's do this. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer and I'll get into today's notes. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that the Bible declares that the entrance of your word brings light. Lord, I pray this morning that as I speak to your people, that light, illumination, revelation from the scripture and from the spirit of God would come into our hearts and minds and create in us transformation. Lord, would you change us and grow us and stretch us and mold us into the people that you desire for us to be. As we dive into your word today, we give you the praise and thanksgiving for it in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen and amen. I want to invite you to uh, let's make our declaration this morning of we're believing God for in faith today. If you can see it on your screen, declare this out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart. Y'all keep going. Amen. Do you believe you're growing in the things of God? I got the lid off my water just fast enough to get a sip in before you guys were done talking. So, amen. Let's jump back into this concept this morning of the power of an invitation. You know, regardless of what, an in, what kind of invitation is given, regardless of how it comes, regardless of uh, the person that's involved, let me tell you what an invitation does to those who are being invited. I want you to think for just a second this morning about the impact that your invitation makes in a person's life. The first is that an invitation says you are wanted. You are wanted. Do you know that it's one of the greatest needs that a human being has, the need to be wanted? And I don't know about you, but have, have you experienced in your life the reality that this world doesn't care whether or not you're here or not? Yeah? Have you figured that out yet? You take a, you know, you take a, a, a two-month sabbatical from social media and you, po- you post when you come back, hey, I've been gone for two months, and people are like, you, do, you were? <laughs> the world doesn't really care whether or not you and I are here. It's a, you know, it's not a real like exciting amen, pastor, preach it point, but it's true. By and large, the world just kind of goes on whether or not we live our lives. 
So, so this need exists, however, to be wanted and to be needed. Each one of us has that. And when you and I invite someone into a relationship to, with Jesus, into a, a, a small group or life group experience, into a, a church service on Sunday or a special hope and healing, something, when you invite someone, the first thing you're saying to them without saying it is, you are wanted. I see you. And I want you to be a part. The second thing that an invitation does is it makes us feel valued. We need to feel valued in life. And then the third thing that an invitation says, an invitation says you are included in what's about to happen. And that's what, I love that one. Because that is where we get to talk about all the great things that God is doing and we get to communicate to somebody, hey, I want you to be involved in all the awesome stuff that God's doing. I made this, this decision in my own mind uh, probably about a month ago. Especially as I, especially as I went full-time into pastoral ministry. I just made this decision and I told my wife about it. I said, from now on, everybody that asks me how the church is, is getting an invitation. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they go, what they do, how I know them, how I'm connected. doesn't matter. Everybody's getting an invitation. You know why? Because I so believe in what God is doing at Hope Church, and I so believe that everybody needs to know about it and be a part of it. So, you know, I bump into people all the time. They're, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, how's the church going? Double barrel. Get ready, buddy. You're about to get an invitation. Don't ask me that question if you don't want to get invited to church. That's just become my personal commitment because I just so believe in the kingdom of God. And I so believe in what God is doing in our church that I just want everybody to know about it. Amen. I want to encourage you to do the same. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. Last week, I talked to you about Jesus being the great inviter. Today is about you and I being empowered to become the great inviters. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 11, while you're turning to Acts 8, the Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse 30, that the person who wins souls is wise. What does it even mean to win a soul? That's a very churchy-sounding word, right? Right? Win soul. What do we mean when we say that? Have you ever thought about how you win souls? When we talk about winning souls and when the Bible talks about winning souls, we're talking about leading someone to Jesus and fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave to us. We're talking about leading somebody to Christ and in doing so, fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave to us. The power of an invitation is the one is in the one that we're inviting them to meet. Think about that for a second. We talk about winning souls and inviting people to Jesus. What makes that so powerful? Well, it's the power of an invitation is is found in who we're inviting them to meet. We're inviting them to meet Jesus. He's the one that supplies the power. Amen. He's the one that supplies the power and the anointing. So how do we do that? How do we become soul winners? How do we become the great inviters that Jesus wants for us to be? 
I want to look at this story of a gentleman named Philip in the book of Acts, chapter 8. This guy is known as Philip the Evangelist. I'm going to begin reading from verse 26, and I'm reading in the Message Bible. So if you, if you, don't, if you have a Message Bible, follow along. If you don't have a Message Bible handy, just listen to this, because I love the way it just tells this story, okay? Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Later, God's angel spoke to Philip. He said, at noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He got up and he went. He met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was minister in charge of all of the finances of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip running, excuse me, uh, I lost my place in the page. There we go. He was riding in a chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. So running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and he asked, how do you understand or do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch answered, how can I without some help? And he invited Philip into the chariot with him. The passage he was reading was this, as a sheep led to slaughter and quiet as a lamb being sheared. He was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. But who now can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? And the eunuch said, tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or some other? Philip grabbed his chance. Using this passage as his text, he preached Jesus to him. As they continued down the road, they came to a stream of water. The eunuch said, here is water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water and Philip baptized him on the spot. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip off. And, he was, and it was the last the eunuch saw of him. Isn't that awesome? You imagine getting baptized by somebody and you, you go under and you come up and they're gone? That's pretty cool. That was the last the eunuch saw of him, but he didn't mind. He had what he'd come for and he went down the road as happy as he could be. Philip showed up in Azotus. That was a city that was very far away from where he was. The Spirit of God scooped him up and carried him over to Azotus and continued north, preaching the message in all the villages along that route until he arrived at Caesarea. Last week, I talked to you about Jesus, the great inviter. Today, I want to talk to you about how you become a chariot chaser like Philip. Let's talk about how to chase a chariot. I've got five principles for you this morning that I think are going to help empower your ability to evangelize the world around you and to bring people into relationship with Christ Jesus. You ready? I encourage you to take notes. If you're a note taker, this is a good one to take notes on, okay? So pulling from this story about Philip, let's, let's, come, let's come to some conclusions here. Number one, how, how do we chase a chariot? Five principles. Number one, listen and look. Listen 
and look. Going back to that passage, the scripture says, Later God's angel spoke to Philip, At noonday I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And he got up and he went. Philip was able to minister Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch, I believe, number one, because he was listening to the Spirit of God and because he was looking for opportunities to be used by the Spirit of God. Philip heard God speak to him. Can I tell you from experience that you don't hear God speaking to you typically unless you're listening, unless you're attentive. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Incline your ear, my son, to my sayings. In other words, be listening, be leaning, be looking, be on the offense. How many of you ever played like some kind of sport in school? How many of you know the difference between offense and defense? Defense is when you protect what you got. Offense is when you go out to get more. Amen, I'll get it. (laughs) Defense is when you protect what you have. Offense is when you go out to get more. And you see, when we shift our thinking into the offensive and we say, you know what, we're going to go out into this world and find and look for and be attentive for those that are in need of Jesus. It's amazing that when we adopt that posture, we start to see people. We start to hear God. All of a sudden, you're getting promptings in your heart like Marshall was talking about. You're getting promptings. Hey, go, go, go over here. Talk to him this way. Say these words. Just like Philip, the angel of the Lord spoke to him. At noon today, I want you to go down here. And Philip did it. Why? Because he was looking and he was listening. I'll never forget this. Uh, Back in 2019, I needed a new car, and so I began to shop for cars, and I figured out the car that I wanted, this Acura, and I I was like, this is the one that I want, and I began to uh, do my research to find out uh, what what car could I get, what could I afford, what year, and you know, y'all ever bought a car before, you know how it goes. You start to do your research and you, you get your stats together and you start following and looking on Auto Trader and looking on Facebook Marketplace and blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but it, was, it shocked me. And I continue to laugh about it to this day. As soon as I made the decision that this was the car that I was going to go after, I started to see them everywhere. I thought there's no way that there are 9 billion Acuras in Boone. (laughs) Why is that? Because I was, this, this car had my attention. It's not that they weren't already all there. They were. I was just now keyed in to this vehicle, so I started to see them everywhere. When you get keyed into the lost, you'll start to see them everywhere. And the, and the person you would have driven past, the person you would have walked past, the person that you would have just casually maybe even avoided, now something about that person has grabbed your heart. And you embrace this idea that I must be about my father's business and I must tell the gospel. 
to these people. This is what happens when you listen and when you look. You won't see the opportunities if you're not looking for them. But if you're looking for them, you'll see them everywhere. I want to encourage you to listen for God's voice in your daily routine. When we wake up, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge the Holy Spirit at the beginning of your day. Ask him, Lord, who am I going to speak to today? Who am I going to talk to about your kingdom, about your goodness? Who am I going to tell my story to today? Opportunities are all around us if we're willing to listen and look. Number two, number two principle on how to become a chariot chaser and how to share Jesus with people. Number two, go ahead and chase the chariot. People aren't always going to come to you. Sometimes you got to go to them. That's right. People aren't always going to come to you. Sometimes you got to go to them. Sometimes you got to walk across the street to get a cup of coffee and bump into an auto detailer. This passage, the, the, the verse says that the Spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. And it goes on to say, running up alongside, Philip then heard the eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah. You see, once, once we have already established that Philip was looking and, and listening and, and he, he, had, he was leaning in to find this opportunity to reach people for Jesus, then the Spirit of God started to speak to him and give him instruction. Hey, Philip, see that chariot coming? Chase it. See that chariot coming down the road? Go after it. I don't know how fast chariots are. I know how fast horses are. I can't keep up with a horse. Some days I can't keep up with my five-year-old. So, <laughs> so keeping up with a horse is a whole nother ball of wax. I believe the Spirit of God came on Philip and he went. Look at the instruction. Climb into the chariot. So running alongside, Philip ran and heard the eunuch reading Isaiah. Sometimes you're going to have to chase the chariot instead of waiting for the chariot to come to you. This is a hard one for us to grasp. And the reason I think it is hard for us to grasp is because we live in a world and in a, a culture where really... We don't have to do much of anything and the world will still find its way to us. How many of you, how many of you had to uh, kill your food this week? Anybody? Anybody done any slaughtering over the last seven days? How many of you uh, harvested the grain for the bread that you ate in your bologna sandwich on Wednesday afternoon? Nobody. We don't really have to do much of anything and everything we need still will come to us. So it's a challenge sometimes, and this is why this message and this whole series, it, it, it kind of presses on us a little bit. Why? Because we're not used to having to go get the stuff that we need. Most of it comes to us. Well, I'm here to tell you, sometimes you got to be the one to chase the chariot and go after what God is telling you to go after. Go after who God is telling you to go after. The Spirit of God said to Philip, go get in that chariot with that guy. And so he did. I, I uh, 
there was a time in my life when, when I needed a job. And so it was, when we first moved here, we, we just did whatever work we had to do to make it. And I was, for a little while, a bartender at the Inn at Crestwood. That's one of my favorite jobs I ever had. I'm not kidding. It was one of my favorite jobs I ever had. Do you know how odd it is to go to a bar and have your bartender tell you that they're a pastor? I'm serious. I loved it. I ministered to more people on the other side of that bar than I can even count. I spoke the word into so many people's eyes. Do you know how easy it is to minister to people when they're trying to drink their problems away? It's funny, but it's not funny. Do you know how do you know do you know what kind of gaping wide door is presented to you when you see a person who's struggling with life and they think the answer is another shot of jack? You see, sometimes we got to go where the people are at. Sometimes we got to go to a laundromat on a Saturday morning and find out where are the people at. That's how you chase chariots. My pastor, Pastor Jonathan Del Turco, says, a world you refuse to enter is a world you will never reach. A world you refuse to enter is a world you will never reach. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus gives the great commission, and he starts by saying, go into all the world. My friend, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to get comfortable chasing some chariots. You're going to have to get comfortable going into some places that maybe you wouldn't be comfortable going. You're going to, you're going to need to get comfortable initiating some conversations that maybe you were not comfortable initiating. And that as we do that, our expectation is God's going to meet us in the middle of that. And he's going to begin to speak. I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to go back to the world that Jesus rescued you out of. That's where the story of your transformation will have the most impact and carry the most influence. Come on, y'all. Man, if God rescued you out of some kind of addiction, go back and find the people that are still addicted and tell them about how God rescued you out of that because chances are they want out and they can't get out. We have to understand and embrace the reality that the world actually hates being stuck in sin. So many people are devastated by the effects of sin and they wish they could get out of it, but they can't. How will they hear unless someone preaches? That's what Romans chapter 10 says. How will they hear? How will they know? Unless we go. Number three, I got to keep moving. Number three principle for chariot chasing. This is chariot chasing 101. I'm your Professor Thurman. Number three, number one was listen and look. Number two was go ahead and run, chase the chariot. Number three, capture their attention. Capture their attention. These are practical things that can help you to share Jesus with someone. Capture their attention. Philip found a connection by asking a question. Philip found a connection with this eunuch by asking him a question. 
The verse says, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Be looking for a connection. It might be a question. It might be a story. It might be, you know, just some, something that they say or something that they do that perks you up and you find common ground with them. Be looking for common ground. That's the thing. That's why I wanted Marshall to share his testimony with you earlier today because he found common ground. Oh, you're from Florida too? I'm from Florida. Hey, you got a four-year-old son? I got a four-year-old son. I do this, I, I, I do this like so, I, I've done this for so long that now I do it without even thinking. My wife tells me all the time, you can have a conversation with anybody. And it's true. I could have a conversation with Frankie's keyboard and we'd talk for hours. It would be great. I'd learn all kinds of new things. <laughs> No, I, I, I can talk to anybody, number one, because I'm just comfortable doing it. I like to talk. But number two, you know why? Because I look for connection. And I've, I've gotten so comfortable doing it that now I do it without even thinking. And it's, let me tell you what, it is amazing how people will open their heart to you if you find a way to connect to something, if you find a way to, to, to have some kind of camaraderie. Do you understand how lonely this world is for people? This world is an incredibly lonely, lonely place. And if you find a way to make a connection with someone, they immediately feel less lonely than they did before. When you find common ground with someone and establish a connection, listen to this, both of you feel like you belong in the conversation. The minute Marshall says to that gentleman, well, I got a, I've got a four-year-old son, and that guy goes, I got a four-year-old son too. Guess what? Now they both feel like they're supposed to be having this conversation. They both feel like they belong in the conversation. Young people, I'm not just teaching you. If you're young, if you're under the age of 25 and you're in this room, I'm teaching you not just how to win people for Jesus. I'm teaching you how to get a job <laughs> and be good in an interview. I'm being serious. These are, this is life skills, man. God, dog, y'all are so addicted to screens, you don't know how to talk. People need more than one word answers. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. You can lead somebody to Jesus and get the job of a lifetime too. Listen, here's what happens. When you find common ground with someone, do you know what they do? This is so important. Do you know what they do when you find common ground? They invite you into their world. What did the eunuch, how did the eunuch respond? He answered, how can I without some help? And he invited Philip into the chariot with him. Come on. It would be so easy to win the lost if we just start by looking. And we just get willing to chase them, chase their chariot. And if we just get willing to look for some common ground and just ask a question. Are you a local? How did you get here? What do you do for a living? The world is lonely. And if you'll pay them this much attention, first of all, you'll make some new friends. Some of you need some friends. Amen. Number four. 
This is the big point. This is the big one. Number four, communicate Christ. When you get their attention, when you capture their, you know, their conversation, when they invite you into the chariot with them, what do I do now? Communicate Christ. Communicate Christ. Listen to this. The verse says, Philip grabbed his chance. Using this passage as his text, he preached Jesus to him. Oh, can I tell you that we are not here, church, to communicate out of our intellectual resources? We are not here to communicate what we know. What does the scripture say? Philip grabbed his chance and what? Preached Christ. He preached Jesus to this guy. Earlier in the chapter, when, you, when you're reading about Philip, you just go back 10 or so verses, 15 verses back, you find out Philip preached Jesus in Samaria too. Everywhere Philip went, he preached Jesus. He didn't preach Philip's doctrine, the doctrine of Philip, the gospel according to Philip. He preached Jesus. He preached Christ to this man. Acts chapter 9, verse 20, speaking of Paul, says this, Immediately he preached of Christ in the synagogues, that Jesus was the Son of God. Again, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified. Are you sensing a theme? When we preach Jesus, we become the facilitator for transformation. When we preach Jesus, we become the facilitator for transformation. Mm. Chasing chariots is about chasing souls. What happens when we get a hold of them? What happens when, when we've earned the right to be invited into their chariot? What happens? Chasing chariots is about eternity. It's about chasing souls because we love them. Because we don't want to see them die and go to a devil's hell. We want to see them live with Christ. We want to usher them into the kingdom of our God. It's about redemption. It's about salvation. It's about freedom. If, if, you, only, if you only knew the amount of people that you walk past every day that are bound, that are aching for freedom. Sometimes the only way to understand what that is is to think back and remember what it was like when you were the one aching for freedom. Chasing chariots is about others meeting Jesus. And preaching Christ is as simple as this. It's as simple as sharing your story of transformation, who you were before and when you met him and how your life has been changed since that happened. Again, you don't have to have a theology degree to preach Jesus to people. All you have to do is say, man, my life was so screwed up before I met Christ. And then I met him. And you tell about that experience. And then you say, let me tell you how my life has changed since that moment. The moment I said yes to Jesus, everything in my world changed. Hallelujah. And you, you don't have to have six years of a, a doctorate in theology to do that. 
All you have to do is be looking. All you have to do is be willing to run after a chariot every now and again. Amen. When you preach Jesus to people, you are taking part in the miracle. When you preach Jesus, not when you preach your opinion, not when you preach what so-and-so said on Instagram, not when you preach the, the article that you read yesterday in Christianity Today, not when you preach that, when you preach Jesus, when you preach the story of how Jesus turned your life around, when you do that, you are taking part in the miracle. There's a, uh, there's a, a church consultant who... I've gotten to know a little bit over the past few months. He, he works with one of my dear friends up in Boston. His name is Stephen Webb, but he goes by Sweb. If you follow me on uh, Instagram, you've probably seen me repost some of his uh, teaching and his content. He's phenomenal. He used to work with Stephen Furtick and with Elevation years and years ago and uh, helped them to plant all these campuses. The guy's just brilliant. And um, he tells a story that I think is so great. When he was young, he was, uh, I, I, from what I understand, was into flying planes. And so he would go flying. And he would say to his mom before he leaves, Mom, I'm leaving, I'm going flying. And she'd say, you're not going flying. And he'd say, yeah, I'm going flying. And she'd say, you're not going flying. And he'd say, yeah, I'm going flying. And she'd say, you're not going flying. And he'd say, yeah, I'm going flying. And she'd say, you're not flying. You're taking part in the miracle of flight. Because if it wasn't for the plane, you'd still be on the ground. Can I tell you, you are not the miracle. Jesus is the miracle. You are taking part in the miracle. Just like the person who flies the plane, the plane is the miracle. The plane is the important thing. Think about it. This is, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of wild to think that human beings have found a way to fly. But how many of you know if it wasn't for the plane, you wouldn't be flying? You say, well, what about a parachute? A parachute's not flying. It's just falling slowly. It's true. When I was a kid, I used to, me and my next door neighbor, I grew up next to four boys. They lived in the house next door to me. And we used to play army guys. And we would go get plastic grocery bags from the grocery store. And since we were small people, kind of like Brandon and Leslie's kids, like that age, just a, you know, just a group of crazy boys. It was, I imagine your house must have looked a lot like my next door neighbor's house growing up. We would take these plastic bags and we would put our arms through the loops and pretend they were parachutes and jump off my front porch into the bushes. <laughs> and we had the best time pretending to be army guys. But how many of you know, we weren't flying. We were just falling. <laughs> no, no, without the plane, the plane is the miraculous part. You're not the miracle. I'm not the miracle. We're just invited to take part in the miracle. When you preach Jesus, you're preaching the miracle. He's the miracle. 
He's the important thing. He's the one that we preach. Paul says in in Colossians, he says, him we preach. Paul's not interested in you knowing what Paul has to say. Even when you read the letters he wrote, it's all about Jesus. Amen. You and I, we can't get this part twisted in our thinking. You and I are not the miracle. We're just invited to participate in the miracle. I want to I want to close with number 5. Let me, let me review these for you real quickly. Number 1, be listening, be looking. Number 2, go ahead and chase the chariot, be willing. Be willing to be obedient to run when God says run. Number 3, capture their attention. Please capture their attention. Look for common ground. Number four, when you got it, when you get invited into the chariot, preach Jesus to them. Tell them your story. And number five, keep chasing. Keep chasing. Because there's always somebody else that needs Jesus. Don't say, oh, I, I met my Ethiopian for the week. I met my, I, I met my Ethiopian eunuch. I preached to them. I did my part. No, there's always somebody else that still needs to know. The last verse of of what we read said this, that Philip showed up in Azotus and continued north, preaching the message in all the villages along that route until he got to Caesarea. See, somebody else needs to know. And chariot chasing isn't a one-time event, it's a lifestyle. The Bible talks about in Acts chapter 10 how Jesus, and 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 all over the the book of Luke and Mark, it talks about how Jesus went about all the villages preaching and teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the message of the kingdom and healing all that were sick. Jesus didn't stop in his hometown. He went out. Why? Because there's always one more out there that needs to know. I mean, that, that alone should be the fuel that fuels us to go to the laundromat on a Saturday morning. Why? Because there's somebody at that laundromat I haven't talked to yet. Somebody needs to know. Jesus was constantly on the move, constantly chasing another chariot. I've told you a story some of you have heard me tell this story about, about a gentleman in Peru in 1999 who got his sight restored when I had the chance to pray for him and prophesy over him. He, was, he came to us, to our youth group. We were doing some street ministry and doing what you do on a missions trip and you know doing dramas out in the public square. Did you ever do a drama, Frankie? I bet you got to be Jesus in the drama, didn't you? No? Okay. We did dramas when I was, well, I just figured you're tall and you got a beard, so, you know. When I was in, when I was in youth group, when I was young, we used to do dramas. Matter of fact, I can remember a drama where Sean was the devil and, and my friend Stephen was Jesus and they fought and duked it out in the drama. It was pretty powerful. Sorry, bro. Sean never did get to win. I'm sorry, man. 
But we were doing these dramas in, in, the, in this, the city that we, were, that we were in, and we would go to the public, one of the public squares, and we would do these dramas, and then someone would get up and preach. And, and this day, in particular, it was very late, and we were supposed to be getting back to our hotel, but there was such an opportunity. There was so many people that needed Jesus. And, and, you know, the drama went off well, and the person who preached got up and shared. I think it was your dad, actually, that preached at this particular location. He got up and shared his testimony and preached, and we, we saw people come forward and give their hearts to Jesus, and then we started to pray for people who had physical ailments and, and issues and sicknesses, and, and we started to see so many people get healed, and, and it was just like chaos, man. It was just people coming out of the woodwork looking for, for prayer. And, and, and it was late, and we were supposed to be getting back to the hotel, and I don't usually tell this part of the story, but this gentleman came to, to me, and I had my translator there, Jose. I love Jose. I don't probably will never get to see Jose again in my lifetime, but I can't wait to hang out with him in heaven. He was translating for me, and this gentleman came up, and he had it was very clear that he had really, really bad cataracts in his eyes. His eyes looked like the glaze on a donut. You follow me? You could hardly see his, his pupil and his retina. You could hardly make that out because his eyes were like white. And he had all these marks on him like splotches, like it looked like his eyes were bruised. And he came and he could hardly see. And I was about to pray for him and actually I began to pray for him and Jose was translating for me and we prayed for him. And, and when I got done, he said that his eyes felt so much better. And actually, I made him turn and look and point, pointed to the clock. And I said, what time is it? And he told me what time it was. And it was a miracle. And I'm like, this is amazing. God healed this man on the spot. But then he turned back and looked at me, and his eyes still looked exactly the same. And I thought to myself, I was like, Lord, I know you're in the healing business. And when you do something, you don't leave it halfway undone. And I was like, what am I going to do? What am I say? What do I say to this man? And out of my heart, before, I could, before my mind could stop myself from saying it, I looked at him and I said, in one hour, you'll, within one hour, you'll be completely healed and completely restored. You've heard me tell that testimony probably before because the next day we saw him and he, and he, came, and, he came and told us, my eyes are healed. And he said, look at my eyes, look at my eyes. And he, he, was, he was following his, um, he, he, his family was following him, walking with us to church. They walked past our hotel and we got to walk with them to, to the church service that night. But we were running late and we had to get to the church service and our time, this is the part of the story that I don't often tell, our time was just about up. We were actually past our time and we needed to leave that, that square and go to, to the church service, but we couldn't leave. Why? Because there was just one more that needed prayer. And it was him. He was one of the last people that we prayed for. And he became one of the greatest testimonies from that entire mission trip because he, that night on the way as we're walking to church, he's out there shouting at the top of his lungs, getting every single person on the street to follow with him and come to church. Come and see. Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Come and see. Why do I tell you that? Because there's always one more. And even though we were pressed for time and even though we should have left probably 20 minutes earlier to make sure that we got to church on time that night, we stayed because there was one more. Don't, don't, don't,
don't chase one chariot and say, I've done what I've, I've done my duty. Be committed to keep running. Keep chasing. Keep chasing. Keep chasing. There's somebody else that needs to know. There's somebody else that needs a, t- a healing. There's somebody else that needs a touch from God. There's somebody else. Your job will never be done until Jesus comes back. Amen. Or until you leave this earth and go to be with him, One, whichever happens first. But our job is never done. Amen. There's chariots to chase. There's people that need Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning and stir your heart up this morning to make a commitment before God. Yes, Lord, I'm going to chase some chariots. I'm going to go after the people because they're, they're precious to you, Lord. I want them to be precious to me too. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.